Welcome to the official Substack podcast of Brandon Ritchie. I'm here and this podcast is a map for helping you and those around you to be a zenith during chaotic times. I want you to be at your pinnacle. And today is going to be a special day. Today's show is going to be about leading in with someone that understands what it takes to be a zenith during chaotic times and even during good times. And uh, I think you guys are going to really appreciate the guest that I have on board today. Uh, His name is Paul Douglas Passmore. And Paul is a champion arm wrestler. And guys, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to, if you want to uh, learn more about the sport and how it's done, you need to look up Paul. And we'll connect with Paul here at the end, but in the meantime, I want to have Paul introduce himself and tell him a little bit about you and what he does and his journey. And uh, Paul, uh, man, it's nice to have you on the show. How about you uh, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and and uh, we'll just uh, introduce them to the crazy world of arm wrestling. How's that sound? Sounds very good. Brandon, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. Um, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I always look for a good opportunity to bring new people to the sport of arm wrestling. I feel it's a very good sport. Uh, it's a very close-knit community. Um, I'm kind of a big name in a very obscure sport. Uh, unfortunately, I, I see the sport growing. Um, uh, I guess a little history on myself. Uh, this would be a good way to kind of throw the fact that uh, I used to be an MMA fighter. Okay, I never was in the UFC. I, I fought pro and had a good run at your local regional type fights. Uh, you know, uh, I, I started when I was about 19. Uh, was always obsessed with it. Even when I was a kid, I would rent the VHS videos of Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie and Kimo oh, yeah. Leopoldo, all my heroes. You know, then Matt Hughes came along. And so anyway, I was obsessed with it. Got into it because I was a bouncer in a bar and they had these extremely uh, rough, unsanctioned, uh, crazy barn burner MMA fights. And I was bouncing and I was watching them and I grew up taking karate and wrestling in high school and in boxing some at the local YMCA. And I had a little actual skill and I was an athlete and a lot of these guys literally had zero skill and they were just out there slugging it out almost like a tough man contest and they just fall down <laughs> on each other some and I made mention to one of my friends that was another bouncer that I could probably handle most of these guys and he said well if you're so bad why don't you sign up for it so kind of put me on the spot so I went and signed up for it and they did it the last Thursday of every month and I, I went 3-0 and pretty quick down wow. there but it, there, there wasn't a lot honestly it wasn't a great accomplishment I'm, I'm not trying to the, the guys literally weren't skilled. I mean, I, you know, I had a little skill, but it did lead into more. It did lead into getting involved in a real jujitsu gym, which was a huge skill gap that I didn't realize I had. But I, I wanted to start on my MMA. I had a good time with that. I, you know, I was a local, small-level heavyweight champion. But when I started fighting, it was an underground sport. If you think about MMA back in – 94 through about 2004 it mm-hmm. everybody you'd say hey i do mma and they said what's that they're like have you ever rented those vhs tapes at blockbuster says ufc on it they fight in the cage they're like 
Yeah, I think my dad read one of those one time. I mean, nobody had a clue. And it was a really obscure sport. And I enjoyed it and was obsessed with it. And um, I saw a lot of potential in it to become what it currently is. And Mm. all it needed was the right minds behind it. I remember I was a huge Pride FC fan. And uh, I I was just, it was so amazing. And then the UFC was a big something I really loved and, and I never thought that the UFC would ever be bigger than pride, but I, I guess what really made the sport explode was, uh, I believe it was spike TV UFC season one, uh, Couture and Liddell were coaching against each other and Bonner and, uh, Forrest Griffin. Yeah. Uh, had that amazing fight. It was an amazing show and it brought, um, mainstream attention to this obscure sport and the rest has been history. So that was my segue into arm wrestling. I feel like arm wrestling is right there. It's really close. It's like the UFC was in about 2002 and three. A lot of people know about it, but it's still an underground obscure sport. And if we happen to get the right mind behind it that can promote it and push it, uh, we have a lot of good talented athletes and personalities in this sport and it could really become something. If just so happened the right name got behind it, it could explode. So, Paul, let me, let me interrupt you for a second. I'm sorry, but I had to ask this because you're exactly right. I remember – because how, how old are you, Paul? 43. 43? I, I will be 43 here very shortly. I'm all, almost 43. <laughs> so so you prop, do you remember – I know you got to remember this. You've seen the movie Over the Top, I know, right? Over the Top? Oh yeah, Stallone. Yeah, so mm-hmm. when you talk about personalities, Absolutely. I think about that. That's a big movie for kind of. Do you, did did you see that? Did that movie kind of play in your head ever when you got into arm wrestling? Did you ever go back and think, wait a minute, this is kind of like you know the entertainment aspect of it, the the mindset of it. Did you ever kind of think think about that in your in your transition into arm wrestling? Did you see that as okay? Uh, yeah, man, this is part of it. It's part of it's uh, being a being a marketable personality as well as performing. Oh yes, having that marketable personality, being able to pump up an event is is huge for MMA and arm wrestling. And arm wrestling is kind of a combat type sport. You got to have that mentality to it. There's a lot more technique to it than most people realize. And strength, endurance, speed, technique. You know, being able to make the adjustments on the fly, but but yeah, absolutely. The movie Over the Top. So a lot of people that's been in the sport a long time can tell you there's certain things that's hit the sport and made a huge jump in interest where you'll have a, people just flood the sport for a while after something happens. And everybody kind of talks about when that movie came out how the sport was flooded mm-hmm. back in the 80s for a while. It got real popular. It almost went mainstream. Almost. We got real close. It uh it was showing up on a lot of you know, ESPN. I remember seeing it as a kid on a lot of ESPN. They would have a lot of these arm wrestling tournaments along with like the same top time you would see World's Strongest Man type contest and stuff like that. And uh, it seemed to fizzle out. And um, so fast forward to about 2013 or 14, the show came out on AME or could have been AMC, uh, called Game of Arms. Ah. And it was a reality show about arm wrestling, and it was 
very well done. It was as well done as any season, the, uh, the ultimate fighter. And <clears throat> I had fought from 99 to about 2012 and officially retired from MMA. Um, I, I ended up getting a job that just didn't, uh, did not allow the, the training that I feel a fighter needs to do to prepare themselves to, to fight. And if I'm not able to come in 100%, I don't want to fight. You know, if I can't give the best version of myself to my opponent, then I don't want to. I don't want to go out there. You know, the the confidence that you need to fight comes from your training, knowing you did the work, knowing you're ready, knowing nobody could have outworked you, and you truly prepared yourself. And hmm. I took a job uh, with Georgia Power. I had been a firefighter. Took a job with Georgia Power, and um, I was on the road four or five days a week all over the state, and that did not allow to hit your MMA gym, you know, every day and, and train the way you needed to. So I had to step away from the sport primarily because of that. Mm. And the, the fact that my dream was to get in the UFC and it just didn't happen. Just, right. I, I, you know, I, I aspired to it. I just never got the breaks. I, by the time, you know, and I'd gotten in my early thirties, I'd been fighting a long time and I, the reality of it hit me that it just wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, I was in a good place in my lower level career to where I could comfortably retire. I'd won a bunch. I had the title for the organization I fought for. So I said I could comfortably step away and MMA would be a positive memory. Plus I've got this really good job now. So maybe this is a good transitionary period. And uh, so I stepped away and retired. And it was, it was a good little trans. It was a good way to step away from the sport. I still have very fond memories of it. I loved it and enjoyed it. I think back on it with a lot of fondness but I found myself absolutely lost. Hmm. It was a feeling I've never felt. Um, literally, when I was three or four, my parents had me in karate every day until I got in high school. Then they allowed me to play another sport. I couldn't play baseball or football or soccer like the other kids. I was in karate my whole life. And then I started high school, and I was allowed to play football and wrestle. And so I, I thought that was amazing. Finally, I could do it. It was like I've been held back from, from doing that so long. And I really enjoyed it. And um, became a you know state champion wrestler. Um, and, and that went really well. I enjoyed it. Had a great wrestling career in high school. Got a college uh, scholarship down at Valdosta State to play football. And went down there. So football and wrestling was, was amazing. I did a, my local YMCA offered some boxing classes so I took that and and they they were pretty proficient classes they got you some decent hands and you know then I went to college and destroyed my right knee in football pretty quick before the season even started and uh, rehab did and found myself that was it for football and found myself bouncing and just going to school down there and then I told you how it kind of led to MMA but um but yeah so that's kind of how I I came up and, and ended up into MMA then when MMA ended I felt lost again I've my whole life I've had a sport I've had something and literally there's a couple year period there where I would go to the gym and be working out and just in the middle of my workout I'm like what am I doing this for because I've always trained for a sport and now I was just training for just fitness Mm -hmm. to go do nothing so it was weird my mind as an athlete has always been I've, I've had training goals and that was my motivation and and i'm sure as a personal trainer i was also a personal trainer 
during my twenties, I worked uh, my work my way through college as a personal trainer. I was ISSA certified, and I worked at Gold's Gym. I worked at the front counter. I taught a kickboxing class, and I personally personal trained a lot of clients. It was really fun, and and I, I trained a lot of people. And their fitness goal was just to be healthy, mm-hmm. and I didn't really realize it. But my whole life, my fitness goal was to prepare for a sport. And when I lost that sport, all of a sudden, all the motivation was gone. There was a couple times in the middle of a workout. I just got up and left. I was like, ah, you know, I wow, this is, I don't feel like being in here. And and I was starting to slowly get out of shape, and I didn't know, I, I lost a lot of joy that just in my life. And I was like, I need to find something to do. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I tried powerlifting. Uh, I felt awful eating the amount that you had to eat and trying to lift that way and not doing a whole lot of cardio. It just wasn't for me. I felt horrible. And I had a cousin that got into arm wrestling. Um, I always could beat him. He was very competitive. And all our family functions, he always wanted to arm wrestle me. I grew up arm wrestling my whole life and just had a natural knack for it. Yeah. And uh, so it was something I really enjoyed. I mean, in elementary school, I remember first grade, I was always arm wrestling everybody. And so my cousin... Uh, was had become a pro arm wrestler, but I kind of got him into it. There was a time period in my mid-20s when I was still fighting. I went to an arm wrestling tournament and won it and dominated. And nobody had ever beaten me. I'd even went to Vegas a few years earlier and ran into like a world champion arm wrestler and tied him. So I, I was talking a lot of a lot of smack up there in, uh, <laughs> at this tournament that I invited him. And my cousin went to pull the tournament too, just in my local town. And uh, one of the guys running the tournament said i know a guy that can beat you i said nobody can beat me i had no clue what the sport was about i still was just a guy off the street doing it that just had happened to have so, a lot of natural ability so wait let me, inter- let me interject here for a second so you here you are a young kid you've gone through all these and you've gone up to this point relatively young man and you've gone through these transitions within yourself right uh, and, right. and 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 struggling kind of to find that i guess that uh that that fire for the next thing right that that thing that motivates you for your next direction in life and here you are slamming these guys and 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 you're just calling them out at this point because you feel good about i guess what you're doing at that point did you feel at that moment uh when you know when that guy said that to you did that trigger something in your head to think you know what did, did you have the thought of okay bring it or were you like, oh, man, what did I step into? What have I gotten myself into? It was absolutely bring it, without a doubt. I had zero fear. I couldn't wait for him to show up. Wow. And he they, he said he's about an hour and a half off. He's the world champion. I said, I don't care. He said he's a really big man. I said, I don't care. I've beaten men way bigger than me. Bring him, get his butt up here right now. When he walks in this door, I will whoop his butt. <laughs> David so and Goliath. I, David and Goliath, man. <laughs> that, that, that was my that, uh, that's my mindset still, and it's 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 gotten me in some good situations, and it's gotten me in some bad situations. <laughs> I don't believe you can beat me till you actually do it. And it's some it's actually happened a few times in my life. You know, it's just part of it. So, but anyway, I waited on this guy, and it happened to be at a bar, had a few beers waiting on him, and. Uh, about an hour and a half later, a, a very big, jacked-up F-250 shows up. Nice one. 
this parks on the other end of the parking lot. And this gentleman named Dave Randall, who really was the world champion, possibly one of the best arm wrestlers, especially in that time period, about 2006, mm. that ever lived. He steps out. And he makes this jacked-up four-door F-250 look small. It looked like... Um, it looked like me getting out of like a little, you know, single cab lowered S10 or something. But, you know, <laughs> just yeah, I was like, that's a good size fella. I mean, right when I saw him, I mean, it, now I will admit at that point I did have a little bit of mm, I'm not sure that there that hit me for a split second. I was like, no, nah, I can still beat him, but it did. A little uncertainty crept in for a second. That, that's what I call the, the doubt monster. Line. He's trying to creep in. The doubt monster started trying to creep in. You had to push him out, you know. Yeah, my my confidence is here. Yeah, my confidence is here. When I saw him, and went. You know, there was a good dip for a second. I'm like, no, no, I reconvinced myself. I'm still good. So he walks in. He's got a shaved head and a big Fu Manchu, uh, deepest, meanest voice you ever heard, too. He walked He kind of had to duck to come in a standard bar door and turn sideways. And uh, he goes, where's this old boy at? Says he can beat anybody at arm wrestling. And he just, I, I stood up and walked right across there, shook his hand, and said, that'd be me. And, uh. By the way, when I shook his hand, it felt like I grabbed a, a bunch of bananas. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" Okay, I can still beat him. He said, "What's <laughs> going over to the table there, son?" You know, hey, I was probably twenty six. He was early forties, I would say. Mm. And uh, we gripped up, and I hit him with everything I had. And I looked up, and he just looking at me, no strain on his face. He just said, Pfft. "I was like, what?" Wow! I kind of shook it off. Said, "You can't." You can't do that again. So after about 20 times with my right hand, I said, you can't beat me left-handed. I couldn't hold my arm up anymore. After about 20 times left-handed, I had I have no quitting sense. I'm, I'm like a raccoon. If I get my hand stuck in a trap, I'll chew it off to get loose like this. And, until you thoroughly beat me, I won't quit. If I can go again, I'll go. But literally, I think he, he, he probably just about broke both of my elbows and arms like I was really hurting. It was like bad. Wow. Really bad. And I was actively MMA fighting at the time, too, and I was having a good run with MMA. So I went to work the next day at the fire department, and I got up out of bed, and my arms hurt in a way they've never hurt and in an extremely bad way. I felt like I had uh, two severely injured arms. You know, they they always say, what was it in a – what was that movie about the kids' sports? Are you hurt? Are you injured? Was it like Sandlot or something like that? Oh, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. It's like I, I might be injured. Both my arms hurt so bad it was unreal, like right here. Mm. And I had to pick up stretchers and move people all day. You know, it was a firefighter. And I literally was sitting at the table with a huge bag of ice on each arm. And everybody was like, what are you doing? I was like, man, I arm wrestled this dude last night. And everybody at the fire department knew, you know, I was really good at arm wrestling. Nobody the fire department could beat me, you know. They're like, God, he slammed you. I was like, I mean, bad. I said, I don't ever want to do this again. This is really bad. <laughs> wow. I've never heard this bad. And so I didn't think another thing about arm wrestling. I was like, if somebody can beat me that bad, I don't have any business in the sport. I guess I bet my first real arm wrestler. And my cousin that was there, though, I beat him real bad in that tournament, and he stayed with it. So this is 2006, and then that was that. I, I kept fighting until about 2012. My cousin kept arm wrestling until about 2012. 
and I kept seeing videos of him on Facebook. He was beating everybody. And in my mind, I thought I could still beat him. Anyway, I got out of fighting, felt lost, tried powerlifting. You know, I had a couple of years where I just was floating around, not doing much. And that Game of Arms show came on, and I was watching it. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I want to do this. And then I got to thinking, I had a flashback of, of Dave, Dave Randall. And I was like, I don't know, man. I said, I want to. Then I saw Dave Randall on this game of arms. They're talking about nobody can touch Dave Randall. He's so the best wait. ever. And I said, well, let me read. So wait a second. So you're there. All right. So you, here you are watching this show. And you yes. started thinking about arm, and the guy that 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 slammed you on both arms and did that is on the show now. What you're watching him on the TV? Yes, the 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 baddest dude on the show is a guy named Travis Bajan, and he was talking about the mountain he had to climb to become the baddest arm wrestler in the world, and the guy that he had to beat to become the baddest was Dave Randall, and the only reason he beat Dave Randall is Dave Randall just got old. Wow. That was what he was saying, and it showed Dave Randall smashing him through the ears and rubbing his head, saying "Good, good, good try, kid," and that kind of stuff. And <laughs> and so I was like, "Well, let me know about this Dave Randall." So I got on my little phone and started doing some internet research, and I was like, "Wow, I had no idea how badass that dude was. I just thought he was some local dude, but not. Nah, he is really the baddest, baddest, especially especially in 2006 when that happened. He was the actual baddest dude on the planet." And that was my luck. (laughs) It would be like you you do an MMA fight and do really good, but then they call in, you know, um, Chuck Liddell, you know, in his prime. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're MMA fighting back in 2006 and you do really good and all of a sudden you got to fight Chuck Liddell. You know, it's like, wow, or Randy Couture in 2006, you know, so that would have been a a bad draw. And so uh, I said, well, maybe – Maybe I could do this sport. I just didn't realize how good because it was so discouraging. Maybe I didn't realize how good that guy was. So maybe I could give it a, a try. So I called up my cousin. I said, when's the next tournament? He said, in about a month, and it's in Georgia. I said, well, I'd like to go to it. If you can send me the information, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do it. This, this might be something I can enjoy doing. And it would give me that drive again to train and eat right and 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 I would have I, I was missing a part of my life. I've always had something, a sport, and I mm. can't play golf. I can't play softball. I'm, I'm absolutely horrendous. I've tried. It doesn't work. My body doesn't bend that way. <laughs> right. So uh, I needed something um, extremely stupid and dangerous to continue doing, like MMA. So, so let, let me arm ask, let me ask you real quick, Paul. And on that point, did. So when you, you know, once you have a sport and you can train for it and you can move, it gives you that purpose to move towards that goal. What, um, yes. what does Paul Passamore uh, use as, as, where does Paul Passamore find inspiration? Where do you look to find, do you find it in, uh, I'll tell you this, I'll share this with you. Some people may find this funny about me. Uh, they may, they may, or they may not, but I like finding, I will look, for inspiration in movies or books. Uh, you know, I'll look in it in, in certain things. Does Paul Passamore look for inspiration in certain things? Do you find it in music, movies, books? Do you do you find it in people that you interact with daily? Or where does Paul Passamore find that inspiration? All the above. Okay. Uh, when I'm 
I'm working out, I've got like some insane um, uh, heavy metal or rap or something going. I mean, just crazy, you know, getting me pumped up music. That's just very inspiring to me when I'm working out. Normally when I'm lifting, you can, I've got a basement that's the, this like Gold's Gym. You can hear me all over the neighborhood. You know, I got it. I just, I'm killing it down there. <laughs> and um, movies. If I watch any Rocky or even that Southpaw movie or uh, when it ends, I'll get up. Even if it's like midnight, I get up and go down to the basement and just crush it. I'm like, I got to go, got to go hit the weights, you know, something, hit the, hit the tie bag or something. So yes, movies, music, um, people. Um, So yes, my biggest inspiration is people in that this is what has always pushed me to work out. When I was younger, it was wrestling and football. That next team or next guy I've got to face, what's he doing right now? I'm sitting in my recliner eating a donut watching TV. Mm. What's he doing? I, then I throw that donut away and go downstairs and run a few miles and lift some weights. You know, like, no, he ain't going to outwork me. That person's motivating me. So, and that or that next team we're going to face or that running back I got to stop next Very year. Very good. Football and yeah. Season. So I think about what are they doing right now? They're not going to outwork me. If they beat me, it won't be because they outworked me. It won't be because I sat on my butt and didn't do anything, and they did. That'll never happen. So MMA came along. That's the perfect motivator. Getting your butt kicked in front of thousands of people is the most motivating thing. If that doesn't motivate you, nothing will. Hmm. It's it, 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 You fought MMA. Any fighter can tell you it. If they're honest, there's there's a definite fear in there. Yeah. When you sign a fight, you get this. Uh, and I'll, I'll cl- and I'll clarify. I didn't fight professionally, or I didn't fight in a in a competitive. But I did train for several years, and I helped a lot of amateur fighters. I, I, I sparred with a lot, did a lot of sparring time, but I never got into the ring. Got into it a little late in life, so I didn't go that route. But I get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying on that front. I had to compete in baseball and football earlier in my life. I did that, but I still get I still get where you're coming from with that. So just want to clarify that for the audience. Okay. But yeah, that but it's the same degree. Yeah, yeah. The weightlessness and airlessness that you feel when you sign a fight, you're like, oh boy, because if you're fighting on the right level, you're going to be fighting a, a bad dude. Right, you don't pick an easy fight. So I I find a fight. I'm like, man, I've seen this guy's videos. I've met him. This is going to be rough. I need to go running right now. Oh yeah, (laughs) literally, I've signed a fight at eight or nine at night, right after dinner, and been like, walk around, sit down. I start thinking, oh god, all right, you know, I'm just throwing throwing my sweats. I'm hitting the hitting the road. You know, just start jogging. Um, I signed one fight. Um, I had taken some time off. I broke my hand, and it was it was hard rehabbing it. It, it uh, got a bad infection in it, and about had to have my hand amputated. So wow! <clears throat> whenever I start training, I got into doing naga and grappling. I was fine, but every time I started hitting the bag and hand pads, my hand I couldn't use it for a couple of days, and this went on for a couple of years. So I couldn't actively fight and train because I couldn't really train punching that well. And I had gotten to the point where I realized I could, though. I, I wasn't training for a fight, but I never did stop training MMA during mm-hmm. that period. I got more into jiu-jitsu, no gi jiu-jitsu with Naga, but I never, I hadn't signed a fight. And I kept telling everybody I couldn't, 
but I had realized over the past few months that yes, I could hit for 10 rounds on the hand pads and work the heavy bag and my hand didn't hurt. So I did realize I could fight. And, and me and my wife decided to go out on date night. We ran into a couple of our friends at a bar and a promoter just called me out of the blue. Hey, there's a fight coming up locally. I know you used to fight. They said you were good. Uh, would you be interested in, in stepping in for him? And I, I had had a few beers, and I was like, when's the fight? And they said, in two weeks. And I thought about it, and all I thought about was this. I was like, I'm in pretty good shape. And at the end of the day, a fist fight's a fist fight. You either know how to or you don't. I was like, and I was like, this would be a good opportunity to get back on the horse. So my drunk brain said yes. <laughs> so I continued to drink. I had a bunch of my buddies with me. I told them, hey, I'm going to do a fight. Everyone was like, yeah, yeah. So I woke up the next morning and rolled my hungover self over and laid there for a second. I looked at my wife and I was like, um, did I agree to do a fight last night? She said, yep, you sure did, you idiot. And I'm like, and it's like in two weeks. She was like, yep. I said, oh, boy. So I got up and went jogging. <laughs> right, right away. In. Right and, away. And, and I, I, you know, I was still training, fighting. And I told everybody in my gym, hey, I got a fight in two weeks. So like, you idiot. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I know, but I'm going to do it. I'm in pretty good shape. I can do it. I, I just will we'll train hard. There won't be any down training. Because, I mean, I've been training three or four nights a week anyway. I was, I knew I could. You know, my, my drunk brain wasn't that stupid. So anyway, I trained and did that fight and knocked him out in a minute and 11 seconds dropped him wow good good hard right yep with that hand that i broke that i thought i almost lost is what uh dropped him with but but when you sign a fight that unless you're drunk that uh well that airlessness (laughs) that weightlessness and then then that's a motivator so that motivated me like nothing else if that doesn't getting your butt kicked doesn't motivate you're getting injured by some killer that you're going to climb into a locked cage with doesn't motivate you to to work out really hard and eat right then nothing will so i had that to motivate me to keep me in great shape in my 20s and then i lost that and and that game of arms came on and i called my cousin i went and did that arm wrestling tournament and fell in love with it. I didn't even train for the arm wrestling tournament. I went down there and placed third in amateurs. And so to know arm wrestling is to know that amateurs is like high school football and pro is like NFL and there's no college in between to buffer the step up. Hmm. It's insane. Most people, most arm wrestlers can't make the step between amateur and pro. It's, it's, it's nearly impossible. It's really hard. The baddest amateur, nobody can, t- nobody can touch him in the amateur class, won't even win one match in the pro class usually. Wow. And uh, So I, I always arm wrestled both, though. I would sign up for the pro and amateur class, and I'd usually dominate amateur and not win one pro match, just get demolished. It was like those guys. It's a sport that, uh, that your body's not meant to do. Your body is not meant to put that type of pressure on your joints from those angles this very unnatural movement so you got to train and condition yourself for a long time and build certain tendons and ligaments and small muscles and everything to be able to apply you know pressure and it's just a weird movement and, and you develop kind of odd muscles i've got uh, i don't know if you can see it but that most arm wrestlers have like this weird muscle right here oh yes most people don't have and you can 
if you pull pro, most pro arm wrestlers, when they do this, they've got this odd muscle right here. That is a big reason why when you grab a pro arm wrestler, you could be a pro, and this does happen all the time with these fitness shows, a pro strongman, a pro uh, power lifter, or a pro bodybuilder. Hey, I want to arm wrestle. And they'll grab a pro arm wrestler with a, a bodybuilder with an arm this big, just the pro arm wrestler's like, yeah. tell me when you're ready. You know, and the, arm, the bodybuilder's just straining as hard as they can because you've conditioned and built muscles for years and tendons and all that that uh, enable you to put pressure in angles that a normal person, even a very well-trained, strong individual, generally can't. And so, um, you know, you, you've gotten really strong in places and, and developed technique. So, Yeah, it's a, it's a learning. Mm-hmm. I call that uh, with every sport, it's a physical intelligence. You know, we have... Yes. You know, mental intelligence, but there's a physical intelligence to understanding the body and what your body can do uh, in a given sport or a given situation. As you train it, you start to become aware of this and you start to uh, you're very comfortable with that. So as an arm wrestler, you would know, uh, you know, like the the probably the gentleman that you recently arm wrestled, he may or may not know at this point, but uh, but you knew having trained that way what your what your technique and what you were capable of yes and and he was a good young lion up and comer he's beaten a lot of people he was ready to make he's ready to make the challenge and take the title shot he was he was on that level but me being an older more experienced arm wrestler i knew some things so i knew what i wanted to do to beat him and then i also knew that he knew what I wanted to do to beat him. And I also knew what he was going to do to try to stop that, if that makes sense. So it's like a chess game. It's like, I know what I want to do, and I know you're probably trying to stop that, and I need to hide it. And I'm, I'm thinking three moves ahead of you. How can I hide this move so I can still do that to you? So I knew what to do to stop him from stopping me from what I wanted to do. And it was, you know, I was, I was way ahead of him. And the way I set up for that, uh, right when we gripped up, the match was already over. Just experience. So once he gets a lot more experience under his belt and conditions his muscles and tendons to be able to pull in that 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 manner and on that level, he'll be really good. He'll be really good in, in time as long as he stays well, as dedicated as he currently is. You know, well, if you stay me, dedicated to anything, you'll get good at it. And that's the thing is, uh, I think here, so, so like, you know, I, I shared with you before the show, you know, the reason I started this, this podcast and this Substack uh, and the articles about this is about this, uh, because the onset of, co- you know, the pandemic and the lockdowns and people's willingness to just give over their, their sovereignty, their freedom for this, right, without question. Right without anything based on any scientific relevance, without anything based on any practical means, it was a direct violation the way I viewed it in terms of civil liberties and whatnot. So that triggered to me, uh, that was my uh, motivator in doing this. And, and, and I find that life is challenging enough as you have just laid out your, you know, your life experience with going to, you know, going to, you know, going into the training, experimenting in different sports, realizing 
you know, at one point you were you you thought you were ready, and then maybe you weren't, but you never quit, and you kept fighting, and here you are, and and my whole thing on that is I think that's I mean that's phenomenal. That's that rugged American individuality, that rugged American spirit that we all need to pull from, and that to me, it, it, it life is challenging enough. We don't need. Um, you know, we don't need an external source like the government trying to suppress us in those goals and in those movements moving forward. It's already challenging enough. Did you find you shared with me a little bit about uh, about uh, some some struggle that you had to there as well? Can you elaborate a little bit on that in terms of, you know, how your life was changed, the direction of your life was changed with the onset of the, you know, the lockdowns and the, uh, you know, the, all the things associated with the pandemic. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that, too, and, and play that into your journey with the audience? Do you mind doing that? Oh, absolutely. Um, actually, I got a kind of a perfect segue into what we've said straight into that. So 2014, we got to, I started the sport, boom. I did good in amateurs, didn't do good in pro, kept fighting, dominated amateurs, and then just went pro and got beat up on from about 2016 to about 2017 really bad. I had a rough time with arm wrestling. I progressively got better, and eventually in 2017, I started getting some wins and beating some okay guys. Confidence was building up, and I don't know really what happened, but everything came together in 2018 and I dominated. I went on a reign of terror in 2018 and 2019. I became, uh, you know, top ranked in the world in arm wrestling. I was living my dream. I was on top of the mountain and, and to go back to training, I was putting in the work. I was so motivated. The better I did, the even I couldn't, I, I wouldn't think I could be more motivated, but when I would do even better, I would become even more motivated to train. And I was training like an animal. I was training like an MMA fighter to just go arm wrestle. One thing I've noticed with a lot of arm wrestlers is they don't train that hard. They don't train like an MMA fighter. I was training seven days a week, a few hours a day just to arm wrestle. That MMA work ethic went into arm wrestling. And I was alive again. I had that sport. I had what I needed, the passion, the workout, everything. I was in great shape. I was killing it. My idols were becoming rivals. I was beating guys that I was watching on that Game of Arms show TV. I, I made it a point. I went after those guys that I watched on that show as just an armchair quarterback, and I went and started beating them in super matches head-to-head. My heroes, these guys that were just uh, icons of the sport, knocking them down one after another, killing it. Uh, won four national championships. I was, top, like I said, top-ranked in the world getting sponsored, traveling everywhere. Everybody was wanting their picture made with me. Everybody was wanting to talk to me. Everybody knew who I was. I've suddenly got 5,000 friends on Facebook. I've got friends all over the world, all over the continent. So I was really living it, right? Uh, November 2019, pulling for another national championship, I broke my damn arm. Mm. Snapped it. Mm. Now, we all know what happened in March of 2020, right? So, going into your question, 
I snapped my damn arm right at the, I mean, in the pinnacle of, of me just killing it. One of the reasons I snapped my arm is I was overdoing it. I've always been a fighting champion, mm-hmm. and I wasn't turning down anything. Literally once a month, I was knocking off some apex predator. I was traveling all over the world just having a super match against the baddest dude they can find and whipping his butt. But I was taking a big toll on my body. Most of these guys I was beating were much larger than me. They called me the giant killer. I'm, I'm right at six foot. You know, I'm about 265, maybe 275 is my weight range. And I'm pulling guys that are six, 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 eight, seven foot, 300, 340, 400 pounds, 450, you know, way bigger men. Um, and I'm giving up a lot and it's, and I'm still beating them, but it's taking a lot. It's, I'm feeling weird pains and stuff like that. My body is telling me I need to kind of take a break and slow down, but I won't, I couldn't help it. My, that was my personality. And it did. I had an extremely nasty match in October and then I didn't feel good, and I went for another national championship tournament in November, and my arm still didn't feel right after that big, nasty match with an extremely good arm wrestler. And um, we ended up going six rounds in October and went three and three, and we tied. And he's one of the best arm wrestlers that ever lived, and I was a huge underdog going into that. Like I said, I was either winning or tying or knocking off all these guys, and that match was so grueling and so nasty that he took off the rest of the year and he advised me to and I didn't so mm. I get up there and I'm doing well about to pull, about to win another national championship and I've gotten a little bit of a weird spot and I probably should have let it go but like I said I'm one of those guys if I have no quitting sense and I was pulling from a bad position snapped my arm and all of that came to an end Mm. All that that I'd worked for, I climbed to the top of the mountain and I slid way down. Um, and it's been really, really, really rough since that happened. So to make matters worse, that arm break, you know, it was funny. My employer supported me from arm wrestling. They loved it. They asked me about it every day. My boss, you know, went and watched my matches, stuff like that. And break my arm and he... He was like, well, you know, that's going to affect you at work. What are you going to do? And I was like, you know, the, the type of job I had, I could still do. I had to have surgery on my arm and get a, a, a titanium plate uh, installed with a bunch of screws to hold my uh, humerus back together. A spiral fracture in my humerus, mm. which, is, which is the common injury in arm wrestling. It's just like when a... Uh, Frank Mir beat, broke Nogura's arm in that Kimura. Yeah. Uh, Kimura, or even really more so in Americana. Mm-hmm. You know, you pull the elbow down, rotate back. It's it. just like arm wrestling. So mm-hmm. it's a spiral fracture to the humerus. Same break with arm wrestling. Same mechanics behind it. That's, that's how I describe it to my MMA friends. I'm like, basically, when you get your arm broken, arm wrestling, it's like you're in a, in a uh, Americana elbow pulled down in your ribs just like you're supposed to technically and they snap it yeah. but you, you try to you try to avoid that position you stay turned towards your arm is what you're supposed to but when you turn away from your arm mm-hmm. you see if you know an americana i'm essentially in it 
So, and you know, elbow for my for my jujitsu for, for my jujitsu friends, I I practice Muay Thai. We like to joke around with the jujitsu guys and say, you know, we don't participate in the you know the pajama party. <laughs> Right, you know, I always said it, it wasn't gay unless you made eye contact. Right? <laughs> you guys, hey, so, my jujitsu guys, though, I respect. Hey, they're they're awesome, man. They're toughest guys around, you know. Yeah, well, with me, I, I never took. I, I did everything, and the only reason I did it was to improve my MMA game. I did boxing, I did Muay Thai, I did jujitsu. But I didn't like gi jiu-jitsu because I felt that it didn't translate as well into the cage. All the sparring, I never competed in Thai, but I did a lot of Thai-style sparring just to improve my MMA game. But uh, anyway, so my arm heals somewhat, but that put me in bad, bad graces with my employer. They never were the same to me. I think I think they wanted to fire me then because it cost me some some trouble at work. I couldn't do my job as well for a while, but I healed up. And um, so COVID hits. March of 2020, I'm still working. My arm, I can't, I still can't use my arm for anything. It's, they had to do the surgery, and, and in March is when they said they were going to look and see if they could clear me to start working out again. So I'm getting out of shape, not feeling good broke my arm kind of fell from grace and you know people treat you different when you're on top and when you fall you kind of find out who your friends are too sure and um it was a a big adjustment and then my boss calls us all in and uh this COVID thing's hitting I didn't think it was as big of a deal as it was going to be it really hadn't truly hit yet it was hitting but anyway we all got laid off wow unexpectedly it was like it was like on a Wednesday you know like uh, I was uh, I was in the I was a project manager and sales rep for a brick company and we we sold brick and I had just sold like a couple million dollars worth of brick that morning for him and he called us all in that afternoon unexpectedly like everybody wherever you're at come into the office I thought he was going to give me a big attaboy for those uh, all the brick I sold that morning and he laid everybody off so wow found myself very unexpectedly unemployed and that was the first time that ever happened in my life i didn't know what to do and i still couldn't even work out the arm and uh insurance lasted to the end of the month so i called my doctor i said hey i know my appointment is is the beginning of next month where you're going to check me off and see and clear me to work out i said can we move it into this month because my insurance runs out they just laid us all off and he did and he cleared me he said yeah you're you're good to start working out but keep it like right now, like five pounds. He goes, you won't be able to keep checking in with me because you don't have insurance, but be smart, you know, gradually work your way up. I said, okay. So I was able to start lifting and literally I couldn't curl a five pound dumbbell with my arm. It was pathetic. Um, My wife is also, I've been married 16 years and I got a, a wife who is also a high level pro arm wrestler. She's won a national championship. And I couldn't beat her. It was bad. You know, like she would destroy me when I was rehabbing my arm. But she was a good one that actually helped. My arm's different. Um, I had all these national titles and championship belts for different organizations that I earned with this belt. And I knew I was going to have to. The promoter said, hey, if you feel like you can defend them, I'll give you like a year and a half or so to rehab it. And you can keep them and defend them. I said, okay. So he gave me the time. And uh, 
So anyway, I spent time rehabbing it, and my arm was different. I couldn't pull the way I used to because they cut through the front of my arm. I don't know if you can see the scar. Oh, yeah, front of the bicep there. It made my arm different. Yeah, I wasn't as strong on my bicep as I used to be. And um, so I learned a different technique, which is called a top roller. I never did with that arm, but my wife was really good at it, and she actually kind of coached me up a lot on it and got me good at that. We trained arm wrestling with 20 or 30 people at my house about once every month or two. Have these big practices, and we go over train a lot of technique and pull and work out like that. And so my wife's had good people coming over teaching her how to top roll. So in, in during that time period, I worked on that, and that was where I felt comfortable pulling in that angle with my arm where it didn't hurt during my rehab. So my arm became a different style of arm, a different technique, you know. So it was like basically I almost went from becoming a primarily like a, a grappling style fighter to primarily a striking style fighter. Kind of what uh, Roy Big Country Nelson did. You remember early in his career, he was a great grappler. You know, because he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and he was tapping everybody out. But then he realized he had this amazing ability, and he could knock out a horse. So he just started knocking everybody out. Oh, yeah. It's kind of that. That's what I did with my right arm. So I spent all this time. I, was, I, I couldn't get a job. Nobody would hire me. Nobody hire anybody. You know, everybody got laid off. So I was sitting around uh, job searching as hard as I could on unemployment, which I didn't feel good about at all, but I had to pay my bills and um, working out, that's all I had to do. I lived, I, have, I have a gym in my basement. You know, I know they closed all the public gyms that didn't, that didn't bother me because I worked out in my basement every day. And I was able to rehab my arm like crazy because that's all I had to do. I was working out a couple times a day down there because I was bored. You know, I was <laughs> doing stuff around the house and I built a deck and worked out and would just, anyway, I rehab my arm really well, really fast. Um, during that time period so it was kind of a blessing and like I said arm wrestling is now my new motivator to work out really hard so I wanted to get back where I was and uh, anyway my left arm you know I'm, I'm national champion both arms um, ambidextrous so I, I beat everybody right and left so so you I compete you compete left-handed and you compete with both arm both sides both right and left arm Yes. Now that's yeah, and that's actually pretty rare for somebody to be a, a dominant champion with both arms. I might be one of the very few to ever do it. Yes. Wow, that's uh, that's phenomenal. I, so, and that was a that was another strength I had in that was a strength I had in MMA too. I could uh, switch stances pretty, and even high school wrestling, I could go from left to right pretty flow, you know, really flawlessly, no seamless, just. And I kind of had a Mike Tyson style. I really didn't turn hard one stance. I come in a little more square, throwing the hooks and stuff from mm -hmm. odd angles. You know, I jab in, but I, but I could turn southpaw on you in the middle of a combo and keep throwing punches. Wow! And, and all that, and, and, and really worked some some interesting angles on my strikes. You know, and I kind of studied Tyson a lot towards the end of my career. A because I'm probably the biggest fan he's ever had if i could meet any one person it would probably be mike tyson <laughs> hey and, uh, that makes and, two of us <laughs> yes i mean if you if you're if you're our age bo jackson michael jordan mike tyson right <laughs> yeah i would add in one more being a georgia boy being a georgia boy i'd add in i'd throw in herschel walker 
on top of the yes absolutely yes um yeah when bo jackson broke his hip that was a just sad time but anyway um so i kept rehabbing and i got back in the sport and i'm doing good um i'm still ranked top in the country with my left and um my right i'm i'm clawing my way back up so the match that habib went and watched was a huge milestone for me because it was my first i've done a few tournaments and done well and won some i went to arizona and won first place right-handed but if, as far as a super match against one guy one killer guy and in, in and a title defense for that arm that i won all those titles with before i broke and then i had to defend after i broke and it's really a different arm that was my first super match with that arm and title defense at the same time. So it was a huge milestone for me. And I did have a very large, strong, younger, uh, genetically blessed opponent. You know, this, this guy was a massive six foot eight football player and he had practice with me and he had beat me a few times in practice during my rehab, you know? And, um, so I took him real serious and demolished him in that super match. And it felt really good. And, our friend Habib was there to support me through it, and he saw it, and oh, yeah. was very happy. And 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 it made me happy that, you know, when you do anything and, and you have someone who cares enough about what you're doing to come watch you and, and believe in you and, and and feel that 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 happiness or the sadness with you of, of how your performance goes, that's that's a great feeling. You know, when you walk somewhere and somebody said, "Hey, my kid wants to get a picture with you." Mm-hmm. what better feeling in the world is there than that? You know, you've actually done something special enough in your life where somebody wants their kid to get a picture with you. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, it my is. son really looks up to you. Could you take a picture with him? It means probably more to me than it would to their kid. Honestly, it, it just puts me in a place of joy that I couldn't, you know, it's, it's really, it's a good feeling of accomplishment from you know, all the, the hard many countless hours that you spend training that nobody sees. And, you know, I got to touch on that too, Paul, because uh, what you just said there I think is extremely important, um, particularly in this day and age because, you know, I think, you know, the culture, as you probably are very aware, I think everyone or at least the majority of people that will that are listening to this will understand our culture has been in, there's been a culture war, so to speak, you know? Yes. And, uh, and this culture war is, uh, it's caused a lot of problems on, uh, on our children, on youth, on, uh, just people, you know, adults in, in general. And this culture war, I think it has to do with people maybe not finding inspiration, at least in the right places, Maybe they find it in the wrong places, or maybe they're looking at the wrong things. But I think what you're pointing out is key because somebody with that that's done what you've done in your life, uh, Paul Passamore didn't just snap his fingers and end up where he's at. Paul Passamore has battle scars, and Paul Passamore has war uh, a warrior mindset in terms of in terms of achieving and, 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 and knocking down goals to get to where he's at. And that right there 
is what I think a lot of our society is missing. Would you think that, do you think that's the case too with, particularly with kids today? Do you think, because you and I grew up, we're Generation X. So you mentioned it earlier, you know, I, I got the same inspiration you. Like I love Rocky. I love, you know, watching Stallone and seeing that. I love reading the history books. I remember uh, when I was young, when I first heard about George Washington and, and how he was, not just with his men, but just day to day, the kind of person he was. Now, he wasn't perfect. Nobody's perfect. You know, we're all human. We're flawed. But but the work and the the principal beliefs that drives a person, that hard work ethic, do you think that's something that is really missing in our society today? Do you think that's hurting a lot of our youth in society today? The lack of that? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I'd, I'd love to switch gears with you a little bit. We'll talk about society. Um, yes, absolutely. We're a group. What was it? Fight club. We're a group of men raised by women. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, no, we, we have female teachers. Our moms, our dad was, dads were always at work. Um, there's now a, a, a very strongly used and encouraged phrase called toxic masculinity. There you go. Uh, honestly, I, I feel that, that that is the, the actual opposite of the problem. Um, my sons, I have two sons. I'm a big part of their life. Uh, I help. I've coached their teams. Right now I'm helping coach my oldest son's wrestling team, coach the football teams or baseball teams or soccer teams. I didn't even play soccer, but I coached the soccer team. I'm a man and a positive male role model and an alpha male in their life that they can see, hey, they see their dad working out. They see their dad competing. They saw their dad fighting. They saw their dad arm wrestling. They saw their dad taking time with them, talking to them, sharing wisdom with them. I drive them to school almost every morning, and we talk about life the whole way. I give them, uh, you know, I'm a human. I've made some stupid mistakes. I've done some dumb crap in my life, and I can tell them what I did and how that turned out. Give them that lesson that nobody told me, or I wouldn't have done it in the first place. If my dad would say, hey, Paul, you know, I did this one time, and it was really stupid, and this is what happened to me because of it. That would have warned me not to do it. You know, my dad was a good dad, but he wasn't around. He worked in a different state. I was raised by an alcoholic mother. And so, essentially, I had to raise her and my sister from my old teenage years, you know. And it, it, it made me want nothing in life more than a good family, a good, happy, healthy, stable family. And there's nothing I wouldn't do for that. So I give my life to my family. I don't feel like there's a lot of men out there like that. We're missing a lot of that. So a lot of our problems in society, my boys are really good boys, straight A's, great athletes, great uh, personalities. They're well-adjusted. They don't get in trouble. They're both proficient fighters already. What is it they say? The the, the man that's trained and, and can fight and has it controlled, that's the good man, not the the man that can't defend himself and is harmless. You know, the, the harmless man doesn't necessarily make him the good man the good man is the man who is capable of great harm but has it controlled exactly I can protect my family i think if that you, was jordan I, harm, I think that was jordan peterson uh and he's a great yeah. and he said also too he said uh he said this too paul you'll like this he said uh 
and I'm paraphrasing here. I don't think I get it absolutely correct, but he said, um, uh, if you if you're worried about what a, the damage a strong man can do, wait till you see the damage a weak man can do. Yes. So going back to COVID, well, you know, I, I kind of hit on that part of my life where everything seemed to fall apart. Then COVID hit, and I was training, rehabbing. I was fortunate enough to find another job. I'm, I'm a I'm a very devout Christian. Um, praise the Lord! I found a job. Right. Mm-hmm. I got to go back to work. Yeah, I don't see it as you have to work. I see it as you get to work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a privilege. So my company hired me. Everything's going great. Um, I'm getting back on my feet. And then all of a sudden they mandate that, that damn vaccine. And they're like, this is what you're going to do or you're not going to work here. Oh, my gosh. They actually they said that to you. They did it to not me, but everybody in the company. And that wasn't the only company that did it. It wasn't the only thousand companies that did it across this country. Uh, So many people got put in my spot. And I have seen some, not all, not some people can take it and they're fine, right? But I have seen some people take it that caused some extremely adverse reactions. And they didn't want to take the thing. Same here. Same here. I I know know several. I didn't want to take it. And I refused. But when they started hiring again, the job market got really good. So it's not hard. Right now, my advice to anybody, if you're working anywhere right now and you're not happy or you feel underappreciated, the job market is on fire. So I did a little shopping around, found somewhere else. They didn't have the same views on it. It was essentially the same job, different company. They didn't make their people get a vaccine, so I left a good job that I would enjoyed because the vaccine refused to do it. Um, you know, as, as a free person, the, the, the government wanted to mandate doing it, but they knew constitutionally they couldn't. But they went around the Constitution and yeah. the back door, they forced private industry, which they control, uh, to, to do that with, you know, their liberal media and this and that. They pressured everybody enough to where they wanted to jump on the um, the bandwagon it's, and, and have all their employees. You know what, what is it? Virtue signaling. They wanted to virtue yeah. signal. Yeah, it's all about. It. Look, look what our company's doing for our employees. We're forcing them to do that, or we're going to ruin their life. But I found a company that didn't want a virtue signal. Went to work for them, and all has been well. I've worked my way up to market manager position. I'm running the Atlanta market. Uh, that's kind of how I ran into Habib. Um, I'm a good athlete, but I'm also a really good businessman. Uh, I'm, I'm a strong leader. I take a lot of those leadership skills that I've learned through life. You know, I was captain of my football and wrestling team, I was shift manager at Dold's. I worked my way up to an officer at the fire department. You know, I've got a lot of just natural leadership skills. And right. my leadership, I'm not a prideful man. I'm a servant leader. I lead from behind. I'm the type of guy that I always wanted to work for. I've worked for some horrible bastards in my life, and I know what it feels like to be working for a horrible bastard. I will never be like that to anybody that ever works for me. I'm not a pushover, but I will treat you with absolute love and respect. And my only goal as your supervisor is to help you be as good as you can be. Whatever you need, you can come to me. We talk. If you get mad about something, you can vent to me. we got a good open line. I take care of you. I've got your back. I don't let anything happen to you from above that shouldn't. I shield my people from the bad stuff. I deal with it 
protect them, help them, then that builds a strong team. I encourage my people on my team to work together and play off each other, build it. You know, if I've got one team member in construction, that's what we do is construction. We flip houses. I don't know everything. And um, anybody that claims to know everything is a liar. So, but I have a good team. And between about 10 of us, we kind of have it figured out pretty well. I've got an expert about anywhere you need one. And so if one of my team members is having problems with something, I say, well, let's call this guy. Let's talk about it. We'll all meet out there and get this figured out because he is an expert there. So you got to know how to use your resources and lead exactly. people. Exactly. And that, you, that, part, that last part there where you said, you know, I don't know everything, you know, but you keep an open mind and you learn and you're correct. I, I think that's the I'll, I call it on uh, social media. I'll post about it. Uh, you may see it, have seen this at some point, but I. Uh, when I call it the fo- when it goes back to the pandemic, the follow the science crowd. I use I, I spell science the first S the capital S of science. I use a dollar sign, sign instead of an S a dollar sign. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's bought and paid for science that's convenient for some people, and I think that's the thing is those people like to take this uh, you know the the high moral road as if they know better when in fact they're being proven wrong just constantly day after day after day. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that you found that job, that, uh, that new position and were able to do that. And, and, and we keep, if you guys are listening, there's a mutual friend of ours, Habib. So Habib, if you're listening, I hope you're having a great day and enjoying the show. So we had to give him a little shout Absolutely. out. He's a gold. He's a golden. Habib, in, if you're there, you're my boy, Habib. I love you, man. Yeah, we both do. We both do, and that yes. that's that makes two of us. He's a great. He, this is a uh, a real uh, dude. I would say he is a true maverick. You know, he is, and he's he and, and he's uh, he's he's humble, and he probably wouldn't say that, but he 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 is. He really is. I can't think of him without smiling. He is in, in the business world. He's the type of leader that I aspire to be. He's one of my idols in the business world. One thing in my life, I feel a transition happening in my early forties. I'm not sure that I'll, I, I won't ever quit. I'll die trying to get back to the top of the mountain in arm wrestling. I, I didn't fall to the bottom. I'm still really close to the top, but I'm not at the peak like I was of the sport. My arm's coming back well, but I don't know that it'll ever quite be what it was. But gears in my life are shifting in the in my career in business. And a lot of the lessons I've learned in all these sports have helped me make the moves and climb the 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 mountain of, of a of a career in, in, in business. And um, I start looking up to other people in different ways and I see someone like Habib in the business world. And that man is is what what I want to be in the business world. I, I strive to be like that. Uh, he may not even realize it, but uh, but I look up to him just like I looked up to some of these champion arm wrestlers. Yeah, I look up to him as a champion businessman, and that's mm. at the end of the day, arm wrestling is a fun hobby. I've made money doing it, not a lot uh, in comparison, but I will say I have made. <laughs> more on the side arm wrestling than I did back when I was a firefighter, which is really sad if you think about it, but that's still not a lot. Habib is the type of guy, he's an extremely intelligent businessman with um, the ability to lead people from a, a, a loving standard and people believe in him and get behind him and will get on his team. 
And that's the type of leader that I strive to be. I want to be like Habib. So, Habib, just so you know, uh, you're my you're my business idol, and um, I definitely want to continue our friendship and want to continue learning from you. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I feel the same way. Uh, you know, and I think uh, you know you pointed at, at something that's really key when you were talking about the uh, the coercion of the previous empl- employer. Uh, trying to, you know, force a medical procedure onto you in order for you to get a paycheck. Uh, that's called that's called coercion in my dictionary. Um, that's the very definition of coercion. And you did not give in. And so that right there is a big, uh, that's what I call not giving in on your principles, right? Not one inch. And to me, nobody gets a pass for that. We, we should never give in on our principles to anyone. Uh, whether it be an employer or even a family member in my book, uh, that is something, do you feel that that's something uh, maybe that was, you know, we saw it lacking in a lot of the population. They were willing to give that over and give in. And I'm not, I'm not disparaging those that maybe felt they didn't have another option, um, you know, financially or otherwise, but how important to you, to Paul Passmore, is it, to be firmly principled and to not give in on your principles. Uh, how, how important do you, does Paul Passmore feel that is in society today? Extremely. Um, let's just say, you know, I, I'm sure you and I both are capable of defending ourselves to a much higher level than your average guy. But let's say we have been completely physically overcame and chained up. We The fight's over, right? We're at the, the bad guy's mercy. And they said, hey, Paul, Brandon, if you denounce your God, I've got a gun to your head. If you denounce your God, if you say, I do not believe in him, I do not accept him, he will die. Yeah, I mean, he never existed. I'll unhandcuff you and let you on your way. But if you refuse to denounce your God, I'm one of, you know, like they said in Tombstone, I'm going to make a canoe out of your head. What's your choice? My principle, I'm not going to denounce my God. That's my principle. That's my belief. I believe that strongly. You're just going to have to kill me. Amen. And and I take that with, and I feel that with that, that principle, I would instantly wake up in a much better place, right? <laughs> so... Um, that's kind of the way I see everything. If I believe in something strong enough, you're not gonna you're not gonna convince me otherwise. Now I will listen to, to logic. There's been some things I believe in before that I've had some discussions with and, and, and been convinced otherwise. But if if it is what it is, you know, if I believe a certain way, that's what I, I'm. That's my conviction. And normally the way I believe is and I feel very strongly is the right way. And um, I did not feel that that, you know, among a whole host of things, the vaccine was one example of something. I felt like I had that gun to my head. Hey, take this and everything's okay. You keep working, keep feeding your family, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily I had the option of going somewhere else. I think there was a lot of people that was in my shoes that may not have had that option, you know, what was it, Delta Pilots? They got forced into it. 
It's not like yeah. you can be a 30-year Delta pilot and just walk off and go find a job somewhere else. That's right. a pretty unique industry. You can't just – there's not really another Delta. I mean, and across the board, the airlines did that. So those poor people didn't really have an option other than, hey, you, your family can starve or you can yeah. get the shot, you know. That's not good. And you know the the southwest. I believe it was the southwestern pilots that went on strike. You know, and they couldn't get flights out, and they didn't show up for work. And and what a lot of people don't understand is that uh, they have in their contracts. I believe I have a couple of friends that were uh, you know former pilots, and uh, they they if a pilot takes some medical procedure that impairs them at all, they're done. Their career is toast. So here they are mandating this, and they're saying we're requiring you to do this. But if it results in something, by the other standard, they're done. Correct. Talk about a difficult situation. It's just insane, the situation. I watched a sad video the other day. Um, my 13-year-old son got me into TikTok, and uh, it's one of the most addictive things I've found, um, unfortunately. But... Uh, it's got some cool stuff on there, and it kind of it, it kind of bends itself to your 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 likes and interests too. It'll it'll start putting videos in there that you're very interested in and that fit your profile kind of. I think it just naturally does that with your selections and searches. But I saw a, a pilot for Delta of thirty plus years in the hospital. And he stood up beside his bed and gave a speech about how that vaccine put him there and he may not even live. Mm. But if he does, he'll never be able to fly again. His career's over, just like he said. And uh, he wouldn't meet the physical standards to be a pilot any longer. And on top of that, he wanted to train his daughter to be a pilot and he's not going to be able to even do that now. Oh, man. How, how sad is that? That, that See, this is where, um, and this is exactly why I'm talking to you today. I may, you know, we're, we're our generation, I, I will say this, you know, like Gen X, we're small in numbers in terms of the generation, but we're very loud. <laughs> you know, I think you would agree, we're very loud, and we have a lot of influence on the workforce right now. And it was, you know, I think I was talking to you before uh, the the great Andrew Breitbart, and he, he had a quote where he said, you know, politics is downstream from culture. And, and to me, that gets at the heart of everything, because if we had not allowed our culture to have been uh, subverted by this kind of cultural Marxist ideology, I don't think we would have ever had a single lockdown. Um, I think what happens is uh, we can now have an opportunity as we're speaking to one another. And look, I'm not going to deny I could be canceled off platforms tomorrow for no given reason whatsoever. You know, I could talk to you today. I could load this episode and we might be gone tomorrow. But right. but in the time being, my goal, our goal, you know, as you were putting forth our message this is the way we can influence culture and get the desired outcome that we deserve as free people. And, and I think this is a wonderful message. And I, how do you feel about it? you feel the same way? You feel that this message of uh, this individuality and this being principled, we, this is the way 
the path that we can influence our culture. Don't you agree, Paul? Yes. Just uh, a word of encouragement to anybody out there that's faced some things. When I moved to my company that didn't mandate the vaccine, we were flooded with people who left other companies who, who didn't, who mandated the vaccine to us. We're not alone. We're, we are probably the majority. We're being made to feel that we're not. Right. Everything you see on mainstream media is prefabricated political crap. Do not believe a word you hear. Do your own research. Find out for sure. And don't just take <clears throat> the liberal-owned, not even biased, but owned media with their complete, you know, propaganda is just a word for BS, right? That's yeah. all it is. They're spewing propaganda. That's a smart word I learned in college for BS. Literally, when my professor said it, I wrote it down, looked it up, and realized, oh, it's BS. That's propaganda. They're mm -hmm. a propaganda machine. That's all they do is vomit what <coughs> their liberal owners told them to say. Yeah, and I think this they is— They preach a narrative. They won't report certain things that need to be reported. They will hound on things that didn't even need to be reported and make a big deal out of something that should have actually happened and they made it sound wrong when it wasn't. Vilify good people. Um, I love the, our law enforcement community, but that would be the last thing I would ever do right now. You could go do your job properly and end up in prison because the news took um, took a problem with something you did that you were supposed to do. Okay, there are times out there when when they may be wrong, but I guarantee you, ninety percent of the time, the police is right on the money with what they do. And uh, they're being vilified right now, and that is <coughs> absolutely horrible that that's going on. It is a problem, and I think that a lot of this is uh, as we get, you know, like if we, when you look at at at, at the new cycle, it is. Uh, I think a lot of this stems to your point, and, and they make us want to think that we're the in the minority when in fact we're the majority. <laughs> They just have a bigger microphone, but that's changing. You're starting to see platforms like this one. Uh, I'll even mention, you know, Joe Rogan. You'll, you're seeing, uh, uh, you know, there's there's other guys out there in, in the spectrum. Tim Pool's another one. The War Room. There's a lot of different platforms out there that are alternative news sources that really just give a completely different pers perspective and honestly, I, I would say a more honest perspective. And you might not always like what they say, but I don't feel in the least that I'm being misled. When I look at uh, MSNBC and I see, you know, I see them melting down and saying democracy is dying and they're always screaming this and they're very, uh, you know, they, they attack people personally and name call. To me, that's like the old Socrates quote: when the when the debate when the when the debate is lost, slander becomes the weapon of the loser. You know, yes. and and so so to me, I look at that and I just shake my head, going, they're 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 panicking is what's happening because they're losing ratings, they're losing their relevance. You know. Um 
this is this is a subject that gets real touchy. You know, you uh, as a person that looks like you and I, especially from a managerial perspective, you've got to be extremely careful with every word you say and every action you make, and you have to actually handle a situation differently depending on how a person looks. Because Mm -hmm. if you go at one person a certain way, it can get you in trouble and backfire, even if you would have done that to another person based on their looks. I think anybody with any sense can read between the lines of what I'm saying. Me being a manager, I've got to word everything very carefully with my career right now. But my point is I, I feel somewhat silenced and to the point to where the more I say, the more I risk my career anywhere you go to because we're living in cancel culture. Joe Rogan, because they went after him for stuff that was a video that was made very out of context over years, years and years. I guarantee you, if you and I had that much airtime floating around out there in in cyberspace, they could probably put together a video that made us look pretty bad. Oh, like, yeah. Everything you, you can be could taken. Cut and, paste. and they tried to cancel him because of it. And thank God, cancel culture lost that one because they were pretty undefeated there for a while, but they're starting to take some losses. And, um, and actually, I'm starting to see some hitbacks. I saw that The View got sued by Kyle Rittenhouse. I saw that. They also got sued by Turning Point USA recently, I think, or they're looking at that. Mm -hmm. I I don't know for certain if that's in action, but I think Turning Point is looking at that as a possibility. Yes. So just along those lines, um, you know, we got to fight back, but fight back smart and carefully and, and, and never give up. There's way more people out there like us that believe in the heart and soul of this country and what actually made it great and they won't allow for it to be torn down correct you know and that's the thing and you're right paul i think uh we don't encourage violence at all and not on this show and i know you don't either even Mm -hmm. though you're a man in a violent sport we're not here uh advertising violence we're here advertising uh freedom and how to think for yourself and to be the best individual you can be. And if you're willing to do that, at least step in that direction, I think I know people are going to hear our message. And I think, you do you think that's the case? Yes. And by fight, I mean fight, fight the fight the proper way. You know, if I'm at work and I have an issue and we've got to kind of have a battle, with, uh, over over something, I'm not gonna act unprofessionally and threaten and, and and act like a child and scream and write stupid emails and make a fool of myself. I'm gonna fight the fight the proper way. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it and figure out what I can actually do, and 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 take the proper channels. And that's how in modern society we should take any fight. It doesn't. You know, we're we're kind of as men in our forties. We're kind of past the. Uh, the, the physical fighting years of our life, unless, you know, it's an extreme type emergency, but um, it's, it's more we take the fight to, you know, things like this. We can discuss things 
in mm-hmm. a polite manner and get our, our thoughts and ideas and viewpoints and possibly win hearts and minds. And I, that's, that's excitement. I love that, Paul, man. You just hit that on the head, brother. I, I'll tell you right now, I tell people, when I put a quote out the other day and I said, look, you know, I'm not targeting, I'm not trying to win over hearts per se alone. I'm trying to win over the mind and then the heart will follow. Right. And you're on the same track. You get it. It's the information that we're putting mm-hmm. forward. And then with that, we get the result, you know. All the available information that's out there primarily is from one side. We've lost primarily all of our platforms and everything we have right now to speak out on is somewhat underground. But just like I spoke back on with the UFC and arm wrestling, there was an underground time, but the right people got behind it and it went mainstream. Yeah, And we're, we're kind of in that spot right now. If the, if the right people ever get behind it and it's, it's slowly happening, I see it happening. It goes mainstream and then we'll have a voice again. Right. right now, I don't feel like I have a voice. I have a voice, but it is this. It's kind of an underground movement type voice to where our viewpoints, our thoughts are, are being vilified and we're being made to, to, to sound evil amongst mainstream people for, for thinking the way we think when I honestly believe a lot of the mainstream thoughts and ideas are evil myself and, and strongly feel it goes against everything I've ever been raised to know is good. Is trying to be canceled. Good and normal is now the new evil, and I, I don't believe in it. And I don't believe violence is the answer, but I do believe having a platform to to speak about a different viewpoint is the answer. To to be just as loud as the other side, that's what we need. You win. You win people in the in the realm of ideas, in the realm of information, and the educational system. Right. They own that. We need we need more we need more people in the educational system mandating things that, that show an alternative viewpoint. Correct. To what they're they're being being indoctrinated now. Or just even the even even the honest viewpoint, not the dishonest one. They're they've you know The only thing we have right now for our children is the parents. Are they're they're gonna be indoctrinated in schools and you need your parents to, to be able to still instill the uh, an alternative view or even, the, like you said, the right view um, compared to what they're being taught and trying to let be led to believe in school. Um, school should just be an education. You should learn history. You should learn science. You should learn math. You should learn how to read and write real well. But uh, it, it should never be how to think uh or, or what's right politically. You should be allowed, you should be given true facts on both sides of the spectrum and allow to make inform your own decisions. But should, they're only given one side of the spectrum to even consider. Correct, right now. correct. Not fair. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing. You know, I, I read a lot in college on, you know, studied history. They wanted me to get a doctorate. I didn't. I didn't want to go that way. I just didn't have that. That just wasn't in my, you know, in my heart, you know, but I still loved it. I had appreciation for it, studied it, and was and and continued to be inspired by it. But, but good and bad. I mean, that's the thing. You got to learn. You got to have the bad to learn, so you understand and recognize what bad is. Uh, should it rear its ugly head again in the present? 
You know, <laughs> that's the whole point of history is learning from it. And if there's anything that we that we know about history, that's for sure is that we repeat it. And uh, we're certainly doing that now with, uh, you know, the cultural Marxism you're seeing play out. That comes directly from the writings of Karl Marx. Karl Marx didn't believe in the individual. He didn't believe in uh, universal truths. He didn't believe in sovereignty of a nation. Uh, you know, he did. He he wanted to. He didn't believe in the family. You had to break these things down in order to to implement his philosophy, which is just bogus. That's just a authoritarian hellhole, in my opinion. And uh, that's what you're seeing play out in our society with the media and the you know the universities. And I, I saw it back when I was in in, in college and. Uh, saw it then and dealt with it personally and had some personal fights with it. But I will tell you right now, this this movement and, and talking with you and hearing your story, which is incredible, uh, and everything that you've dealt with and the level that you're performing at, I'm telling you, uh, you Paul Passamore is moving the dial on this culture war. I promise you that, brother. Yeah. I mean... How hard was it, uh, you and I are two college-educated gentlemen, how hard was it for you in college to be a, a con- maybe a conservative-leaning uh, free thinker to where you didn't just take the agenda that was trying to be crammed down your throat <laughs> and, and spoon-fed to you? I got in so many debates and arguments like <laughs> – I had a with my with my professors. Oh literally, yeah. I had one professor in the front of the classroom. He was a, a a French guy, and he got to talking really bad about Pat Buchanan and saying some lies about him during class. This is back in two thousand two, and I happened to know for a fact he got to talking about Rush Limbaugh. Happened to I listen to him every day. I was mm-hmm. like, "What you're saying is not." It's not correct. That's a straight-up lie. Anybody mm-hmm. in this class that's hearing this, just so you know, it's a lie. The the the, the professor's name was Francois, and uh, boy, he come unglued. <laughs> he yeah. he got so mad, he took a permanent marker and wrote on the overhead projection fiber fabric screen. He was like writing Pat Buchanan's name and drawing X's through it while we were arguing. And I said, you do realize you're writing on that overhead projection fabric screen with a permanent marker, right? <laughs> he lost his mind. Like, I literally had to go to the to the counselor and get switched. To, and all it was was a um, history class. Had no nothing to do with, with anything, but he gets on his tangents. And I listened to a couple of them and got really mad. And eventually I was like, I got to say something back to him. Everybody in this class is just believing what he says. They're thinking Pat Buchanan and Rush Limbaugh. Or, or monsters, and they're not. Right, they really aren't. They do. The, they, they do the same thing. They do the same it. thing with Rogan, uh, just for having yeah. Doctor Malone uh, as a guest. You know, correct. Yeah, they. They're, but so I wasn't going to stand there and let twenty or thirty other people in my class take that and not hear the, uh, an alternative viewpoint. And I ended up having to get a different class. That that teacher hated me so much. That I had to get up and leave his class and go get in a, put in, a, in another history class because of that. Um, it cost me. There was an English teacher. All it was was English. I had to write essays. 
I wrote an essay about something he didn't agree with and I got in a bad grade, but it was supposed to be graded on not the content, but how it was written. You know, what, what, what is my grammar right? Is the sentence structure right? Are my paragraphs written right, but not what I was writing about? And right. he took what I, what I wrote about that offended him, and I got a, a, a D on a paper I should have got an A plus on. Just yeah. stuff like that. As a conservative-leaning free thinker, I suffered in school because I wouldn't go along with the, the indoctrination that was happening. And a lot of people were so blind to it, they didn't see it. They're with their, they're, that's their professor. They know better than them. I saw that as another human being that was no better than me but may have an expertise in an area that I want to learn more about. Mm-hmm. But when you get into politics, that's not your area of expertise when you start preaching that. You're a, you're a history teacher. I want to learn about American history. Yes, you know more about that than me, but you don't know more about Pat Buchanan than me. You don't know more about Rush Limbaugh than me. Those just happened to be the two he brought up that day. And, and, I, and I would say I would probably even question how much he actually knew about history. Because uh, uh, there's a there is a, a an author who really destroyed a lot of the university teachings in history. Howard Zinn, Howard Zinn's uh, people's view of America is is not historically accurate. It is it is not even in fact it's been disputed by some of the highest uh, historians at Harvard, uh, Yale that just is blatantly dishonest. And hit, that book has circulated. They made it famous in the movie, um, what was the movie with Matt Damon and uh, uh, where he's, you know, he's like a, he's like a, uh, you know, he's like a young kid. He's really smart. And then Robin Williams was in it. What is the name of that movie? I forget the name of it. Anyway, it'll, it'll come to me. But anyway, they made, they made mention of this book in that movie. And... Uh, Isn't it the Joy Luck Club? It wasn't a joy. It was something. Uh, he's like a real smart. He plays a real smart kid, a real gifted kid, and he's like a janitor. And a, the professor leaves a problem on the on the board, and then he comes in and solves it overnight. And then no one was able to solve it. And uh, it'll come. It'll come to me here in a minute. But he. Uh, but basically, they made mention of that book in that movie. And then when they did that, it kind of built momentum. It gave it sort of the marketing platform it needed, and it's been a real problem in universities because it's not a it's not an accurate view of history. It's a distorted view. It's a limited view. Um, in some in some cases, just blatantly dishonest. It's just a dishonest opinion on how things really happen in different aspects of history. And uh, this this has been disputed for years it's been called out for years but i would argue that 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 history professor of yours he probably was a victim of that book i'm sure yes um and 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 that was uh, just two incidents of many then i struggled through um, an extremely liberal uh, university system that we have across the country um you know that's something else that um, free-thinking, conservative-leaning people should should consider giving our children a different option. You know, possibly some some non-conservative-leaning. Uh, I mean, not non non. I apologize, non-liberal-leaning educational opportunities. Um, 
you know, I think there's some grassroots movements in every everywhere we need to. We just need to stay the course, and hopefully it'll eventually catch on. You know, I I talk to my children. Whenever I hear them being taught something in school that I don't agree with, I give them a, an alternative viewpoint. I let them make their own decisions, but I give them my viewpoint on uh, on what they're being told. That yeah. way they can... They can hear that, and then they can hear my 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 different viewpoint, and they can form their own decisions. Right, you know, and, uh, and I'll, I'll allow them to do that. And by the way, that movie was Goodwill Hunting. Okay, Goodwill yep. Hunting had Robert Robin Williams. Uh, really good movie, very good movie. Um, but but uh, but yeah, I just thought I would put that in there because I don't I, I don't know if you're like me when I can't remember something right off hand it bugs me <laughs> till I get it oh quick. yeah as soon, as soon as this was over I was going to start researching <laughs> yeah <it> out. <laughs> yeah that was it goodwill hunting but well Paul well man uh, so we're getting a little short on time here on my end anyway I've got some things I got to get to here for the next segment but do you have I want you to tell the audience do you have anything, any events coming up, or do you have any big things coming up that you want to promote? And also tell them where they can find Paul Passamore, where they can connect with you, uh, what they can do to, you know, connect with you and follow you on your, you know, on your next projects. My next uh, title defense is going to be my second right arm uh, title I, I hold. Um, Five title belts right now. There's one more for the super heavyweight. I've got there. There's three for each arm, and I, the last one I've got to grab is the right arm belt. Uh, the match was supposed to happen before I broke my arm, and it's been postponed. But it's going to be title for title. I defended my title right arm three weeks ago when Habib was there, and um, mm. but this will be against another champion. He's from the upper Midwest. I want to say maybe one of the, D- the Dakotas, but it'll be um, in Daytona Beach, Florida on October 20th, I believe. Right now is what it's scheduled for at the Biketoberfest. So there's a big biker rally they do in, in Daytona. Cool. Uh, according to the promoter, it's still supposed to be a fairly family-friendly crowd um, of, of bikers. Uh, whatever that means, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go there <laughs> and 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 per, per, you know. Title for title, I don't know if it's really defend your title, but it'll be a title unification match, right-handed against a gentleman named Coin Beret. Um, I don't know a whole lot about him. He's from a different region. He hasn't pulled outside of his region a lot, but he looks like an extremely good puller from his region. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a well-traveled puller, but I haven't ran into him before, so it'll be the first time we've ever met. He looks like a, an honest, solid challenge. Um, definitely on another step up from the defense that I just made. I'm preparing for him. That's actually the next thing that I have scheduled. Like I said, one lesson that I learned from my arm break was to slow down a little bit um, and, and not pull so much. You know, it, uh, these super matches are kind of like an MMA fight. You can't do a, a MMA fight once a month against a tough opponent. You know, you need time in between to recover and train and get better. So I'm taking a smarter um, approach to arm wrestling now I'm training and rehabbing um, I'm steadily climbing back up that mountain I'll never never give up it's going well my recovery is going well my my comeback is coming coming along well 
Um, but it's like anything else. Um, it took me five years to get there the first time, and I basically have a new arm that I'm having to retrain. So I'm, I'm only a couple of years into it. It'll probably take me a simple, similar amount of time to get my new arm retrained to the point of where it was. So I'll keep doing it until I get back there. And this will be another really good test, another really good stepping stone if I'm able to pass the test to keep moving forward with that arm. And I'm looking forward to it. Um, as soon as this podcast ends, I'm going down to the basement and I'm gonna crush it for two or three hours. You know, nice. That's what I'm going to go work out hard. And, and Coin Beret will be my motivation for that workout. I'll be nice. thinking about him a lot. Uh, uh, I hope he's sitting on his recliner eating a donut right now while I'm going downstairs. He's <laughs> going to tear it up um, because I will be ready for him. I'll be 100% ready and, and trained up and sharp and strong and smart when we hit. And, um, you know, I actually hope he brings the best version of himself, and we'll see what happens. Well, that sounds awesome, brother. And, and and real quick, where can they get with you, like on social media? Is there any social media okay. website you want to direct yes, them to? Um, I have a YouTube, uh, and I, I put a lot of pretty pretty cool content on there. Uh, you can just type in Paul Passmore or my actual uh, YouTube name is Swole51, S-W-O-L-E-5-1. Uh, it was my young man party days nickname was swole and 51 was my school football number if you want to know where that came from <laughs> and um pass more p p-a-s-s-m-o-r-e-p on instagram um and then you can find me on facebook under paul douglas passmore and uh put a lot of and also have a paul passmore athlete page on facebook uh, so there's some good ways to follow me i put a lot of pretty cool content on there i have a tiktok page i you can find me if you just type in Paul Passmore on there. I'm not sure exactly what the, the, the handle is on there, but I definitely would like to build up my, my Facebook following is, is maxed out, but uh, my athlete page has still got some room, and I like to build up my Insta and, um, and TikTok a little bit. So look me up there and send me a request. I put some pretty cool stuff on there, some training videos and, and uh, this and that. So it's got some interesting content on there. If you're interested in arm wrestling, I'll have match highlight reels and a lot of training content on there and just some inspirational stuff and occasional family stuff. I may post some of my son's wrestling matches. He's a, he's a killer on that wrestling mat. So anyway, if you want to keep up with me, those would be some good ways to do it. Awesome, man. And Paul, man, I, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule and, and, uh, and joining me here it's it's been a real honor and i'm i want you to if you it, do you have just a minute to stick around after i cut the show here i'm just going to close it out just can you Absolutely. stay on all right sure just stay. yes and i would like to say the honor was all mine i really appreciate your time Brandon. oh man paul that's awesome man yeah so guys ladies gentlemen that's paul passmore and you guys want to uh make sure that you connect with him uh, understand that uh, you can now get the show on Apple Podcast, on Spotify, um, also as well as going direct to my site at brandonritchie.substack.com. Please subscribe, like, share, um, join the community. Make sure you connect with our guest today. Give him some time. Make sure you give him a follow. This is what we're trying to do. Remember, guys, we're trying to be a map for you to be a zenith during chaotic times. And this is how we do it is with, we do this by sharing our experiences, by sharing our, our information, 
by sharing stories and drawing inspiration from those people that have, that have had the battle scars, that have been through life and have done what they've done to get to where they are. And this is how you do it, guys. And I appreciate you being on the show. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to close out today's episode. Make sure you stay strong, stay focused, and stay active. Good day.